Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Hey, welcome to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. All right. Special gift to you in the first segment of the program. Father John Ricardo did another series of questions with me last week. And over the course of the next week and a half, we're going to have a chance to enjoy that and then continue on with our teachings on the Holy Spirit. That's what we have in store today on Sound Insight. I can't wait. Let's get started. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in Jesus' name. I thank you and I praise you for the ways that you love us and take care of us, the ways that you bless us. Lord, I ask that you would bless all those who listen. Just give them the encouragement they need today, Lord, to help my dear sweet brothers and sisters know that they're not alone, that you are with them. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your sacred heart and of the immaculate heart of our Mother Mary. Please, Lord, give us the grace to enter into your heart, Jesus. And Mother Mary, place us in the heart of your Son, precisely in that place, in that hidden space in the heart of Jesus for which we were created. Help us to believe that, Lord. Help us to know that we are so specially made, so individually created, that you have a place in your heart, Jesus, that is set apart for us, that is held in reserve for us. I pray, Lord, for those who have experienced wounds and rejection, who have experienced a sense of uh, being told harsh messages that they're not loved, they're not wanted, they're not welcomed, they're not accepted or acceptable, they're not celebrated. Lord, all of those things that can weigh us down, hold us back, and bind us up, I pray, Lord, that you would unbind each of us at those places in our memories, our imaginations, and our in our emotions that, that keep us held back, Jesus. May your Holy Spirit be released within us in new ways. May the power of your Holy Spirit free us to live the fullness of the life that you intend. I thank you, Lord, for that gift. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, if you've been away from Sound Insight for a while, uh, these days I'm, I'm, re, I'm bringing back to you teachings on the Holy Spirit, teachings on you coming into the fullness of what the Holy Spirit was intended to release within you when he was given to you so lavishly and generously at baptism and confirmation. And so that's going to be the majority of the program. But in the first segment of the program, Father John Ricardo is back. Yes, he gave me more time. And he said he wants to do it again, where I just ask him interesting questions, questions that are maybe not typical, but can yield insight that would be a blessing to you. So this is part one of my part two, Father Ricardo, and it's part four of the Holy Spirit series. 
Are you confused enough yet? (laughs) Let's get beyond the confusion to clarity and encouragement and inspiration. And we'll do that today by beginning with Father John Ricardo. Okay, so opening question. God is outside of time. Time lives in God. God doesn't live in time. Christ died 2,000 years ago for the sins of all time, for before and after him. So what happened 2,000 years ago impacts us. Great. We get that. Well, what about the theological insight that we impact Christ, that how we live today impacts what happened to Jesus in his passion, death, and resurrection? So on the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart, we've probably had some reflections on the idea that we impact Jesus through our sins. The Catechism quotes uh, this insight that, uh, or the Catechism states that, Uh, Through our sins, we are the ministers and authors of all that Christ suffered in his passion and death. But what about our expressions of love? Our expressions of love can also impact what Jesus endured in his passion. And on this feast day, I'm thinking of Pope Pius XI wrote an encyclical on the Sacred Heart of Jesus, where he talks about the ministry of the angel in the agony of the garden and how we can join that angel in the mission of consoling Christ. So I'd love for you to reflect on this insight that how we live today impacts in a beautiful way or a horrific way, what Christ endured in his passion. You just gave the answer I would give. So that letter is is a particularly favorite letter of mine. So I say two things maybe. So the first is to make sure that we understand the passion um, more fully than perhaps most of us do. Meaning what? Meaning Jesus and his passion is by all means making atonement for our sins. So, I mean, he's hanging right behind me. He's also um, revealing to us the Father and who the Father is and who the Father is is love. So when you look at the cross, you don't see... um, anything so much as you see the love of God. But the thing that most people don't take into account, I find, and which has been so transformative for me, is to keep in mind, so the the one who's hanging on the cross behind me um, is the one who made the universe. And the universe is 90 plus billion light years across. And you can't nail him to a cross. Like Jesus, so we use the language like Jesus is a victim well, that's true, but it's also not true. Jesus, n- nothing on the cross is happening to him. Jesus is the one who's always in control. And I think the thing we have to keep in mind to balance what you're saying or, pr- or putting forth is um, the other thing that the Lord is doing on the cross is he's going to battle. That's the That's the real battle. And he's going to battle against the one who's bound the human race from whom we cannot escape. And he does it in an extraordinarily clever way, and he does it by hiding in flesh. So Satan is deceived on the cross into thinking that um, he's going to capture this man like he's captured every other man since Adam's rebellion or, or falling for the first deception. But in fact, what Jesus is doing on the cross is, yes, making atonement and yes, revealing the Father's love, but he's also... He's something like a Trojan horse, which is kind of a favorite image of the fathers of the church. They don't use that language. They might use 
fish hook or mousetrap or something like that. He, he's he's trying to um, get into the strong man's house so as to liberate us. That that's just really important to keep in mind. I think as we start talking about how he's making atonement and how we can console him. Otherwise, you get an image of Jesus, like Jesus is, you know, somehow lost his superpowers on, you know, Holy Thursday night and Good Friday, and then they suddenly come back on Easter Sunday. But but the Good Friday is not a defeat. The, the cross is a victory. It's not a defeat. And Easter Sunday is a confirmation of that. Now, that said, let's go to your question. I, I find that passage in... Um, in the Holy Father's writings about consoling his heart or, or kind of like stepping into the ministry of the angel to be an amazing um, thing to reflect on. I don't know, understand how that works quite candidly, but I, I do find it a helpful way to pray to say, okay, so uh, Jeremy Driscoll who's the abbot at Mount Angel in uh, Mount Angel, Oregon. I heard him say one time that the Lord on the cross and in his passion, so the, the whole Paschal mystery is something like a car slamming on its brakes. And so if you watch a car slam on its brakes in slow motion, the first thing it does is it lurches forward, and then it rocks backwards, and then it comes to a standstill. And he says that's what Jesus is doing in his passion. Like he, he lurches forward, and he grabs all the sins of all of humanity that's going to live after him and he pulls them to himself and then he lurches backwards and he grabs all the sins of everybody since Adam and he pulls them to himself and then he comes to a standstill like this because he's he's the God man and so if that's what's happening in the passion and the passion begins in Gethsemane then um when I pray sometimes, I just pray, Lord, bring me, or Holy Spirit, bring me into the garden. Because I know I know he's absorbed my sin into himself in his scourging and in his being nailed to the cross and in his crowning with thorns. But let me right now somehow be a means by which I can comfort him, not just torment him, or not just be a means by which he's suffering, I should say. Um, but be a means by which I can comfort him and tell him now um, how much I love him and how sorry I am. And to be there on behalf of those, you know, it's kind of like the prayer that the angel teaches the children at Fatima. You know, um, uh, I love, I adore, you know, I, and I ask forgiveness for those who do not love and who do not adore. So, Lord, on behalf of all those who ignore you, who take for granted the gift of life, who trample on the cross, um, I'm here. So somehow, Lord, I pray that my love, as weak and pathetic as it is, and fickle as it is, at this moment in time, is a is a comfort to you. I don't know how to think of it other than that. That's very beautiful, Father John. I love how you, you're drawing out the, let's call it the paradoxical aspect of, of the truths of our faith, that we have to uphold two elements at the same time in order to understand either one correctly. You're talking about Christ crucified as a confession of the sins of the world and a confession of the love of the Lord. It's both simultaneously. And so being in the garden in both ways, simultaneously saying, Lord, I'm so sorry, but Lord, I love you. Uh, is this powerful mystery. 
All right, there you go. I hope you were blessed by that time with Father John Ricardo today. Come back tomorrow. The first segment of the program will be with him again. But let's dive in right now to the next teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit and your life. Today we're going to take a look at how God has historically renewed his church. And we're going to focus in on this theme of movements, of movements, the idea of being moved by the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves people in different ages. And is he doing that today among us? Hmm. So Carrie and I, it was like in night, it was about the year 2002. Uh, we had a couple of kids at the time living in Federal Way, Washington in a, in a small house. And uh, at that point, um, I was not only leading a ministry and doing other kind of consulting work, I was trying to finish my doctoral dissertation. And it meant a lot of days sitting in um, the one extra room we had, looking out the window and typing away. Do you remember those days, dear? Yeah. I still have notes where I'll wake up going, oh, my dissertation's done. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. But uh, at the time, that was a real thing, by the way. So um, I would sit and I would look out the window and try to focus and say, okay, I've got to type some more. I've got to finish more, type this, this long paper. And I would look out at my neighbor's yard, which was perfect. And then I looked at our yard, which was not perfect. And, um, and so one day I was typing away and, and all of a sudden I heard the lawnmower, my neighbor, and I look up and he's mowing my lawn. <laughs> mowing my lawn. Because I didn't do a very good job with the lawn, and he did such an amazing job with his yard. I was like, what is he doing? So I go outside, and he stops the lawnmower, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, God told me. <laughs> God told me to mow your lawn. I was stunned. And what I said in reply was, did he mention the laundry? <laughs> he did not mention the laundry. But I'm like, are you serious? This guy was charismatic. He, he was a Pentecostal, he wasn't Catholic. He would have prayer meetings in his garage with his, with his son. They'd be praising the Lord, the big whooping it up. And um, so very open to the Spirit, open to the Spirit. Holy Spirit moved him to mow my lawn because he knew all the things that we were involved in. Two months later, he died. I'm not connecting those two points. Okay? So, and he came back from the dead. He went into St. Francis Hospital in Federal Way for an ordinary procedure. Things went sideways, bad, worse, died on the operating table. They kept him alive for an hour and 45 minutes manually, keeping his heart going, and he came back. They called his time of death, and they just kept beating the heart, beating, kept the heart going, kept the heart going. And for an I, I, hour, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, 
And he came back and had a story to tell about going to heaven, meeting Jesus, and oh my goodness, the, the rest of this guy's life, and he still does it today, he travels around the country telling the story of what he saw in heaven. And, and here's the thing, he, um, he just can't wait to die. <laughs> Having, like, it's so incredible in heaven and Jesus and how bright he was and, and he received a new name in heaven. The name he received was Go Back. <laughs> because he's like, I want to stay. And Jesus said, Go Back. And he said, No, I don't, I don't want to leave. You know, and his wife wasn't happy about that part, but uh, go back. And the third one, go back. He forcefully came back into his body. And he said, he says like he was driving um, with his wife and the wife said, look at the incredible, beautiful, it was like at the time when the flowers were in full bloom, like the most beautiful thing you can see. And he looked at it and he said, I can't believe how dull those colors are. Compared to heaven, right? Compared to heaven. So, uh, what I'm recommending to you is if you want to have a heavenly encounter with Jesus, I have a lot of grass, <laughs> yard work, lots of opportunities to encounter the Lord. Just open to the Spirit, okay? Be open to the Spirit. Um, but I, seriously, folks, uh, this is all about what we're doing here, becoming open to be moved by the Spirit. This isn't just about movements in some kind of big, grandiose way, because I'm going to talk about big, grandiose, sweeping things that have touched the history of the church about every 500 years. You're going to hear about blesseds and popes and others, but what this all comes down to is you and you and you and you and me discerning and following the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? Why are we here? Why are we here? We're here because, remember the movement of discipleship, right? There's three moments. There's the moment of the call, the vocation, where the Lord has called you into being and he holds you in love because you're unique, one of a kind. God's planted you in this moment in history. But that moment of call then leads to the moment of powerlessness. Remember that, right? Praiseworthy desperation. When we're, I got nothing. I got nothing. But Lord, I just... I, I want to fulfill your call, but I'm only going to fulfill the call when that third moment comes, which is the moment of empowerment. Empowerment. And we talked about that last week. Remember that too muchness of God? How many of you experience the too muchness of God? See, Philip Mary, relent, back off. You're too much. Right? So whether we're praying, Jesus, who am I to you? Whether we're that prayer of groaning, Jesus, please, you take over. Or whether we're praying, in the shock me with your generosity, O oh Lord. This is all about us becoming the saints that live the mission that God has for us right now. So we've all been moved in some way to get here. God has moved in your life, maybe not through the neighbor and the lawnmower, but God has moved in your life to get you to this place, I mean literally tonight. So as we get started, I'm gonna just have you share in small groups, okay? Just share in small groups. One little, it's the word testimony. What's a testimony? A 
The testimony is when you're the witness to something that has happened. And in this instance, you want to be a witness to something that God has done in your life that has moved you. Okay? Something that has moved you. It might have been a retreat you went on, a talk you heard. It might have been a prayer time you had. It might have been a conversation you had. It might have been someone coming up to you on the street. Whatever, whatever that was. I'm not asking for 15 stories. Just one. One moment where you've sensed God moving in your life. Okay? And there's a reason why we do this. And I'll tell you the reason why after. So... I want you to actually, we'll keep it simple and short, find one person and share one testimony each. Back up a different person than the person you shared with, okay? You've got the story, you know what I'm saying now? Simple homework, one person, share and listen to a testimony, brief, about a time when God moved in your life. Go. All right, so uh, did anybody hear a testimony, a story, that you thought was so cool that everyone else should get to hear it too. So I'm not asking you to share yours. I'm asking you, you heard the testimony and you said, that one ought, that person ought to share. And just to let you know, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me to pick on people. So you either can follow the lead of the Holy Spirit or you can follow my lead. So who heard one that ought to be heard? People talk away, talk away, and now it's have to share. Zip. What is that all about? All right, I'll honor that. I'll honor that. I'll tell you my story. Okay. Um, so uh, my story is about um, a gang fight and gunfight in my house. What? <laughs> How's that for an attention grabber? <laughs> so the same house Carrie and I were living in. We left the house. Uh, bought another house, and by the mercy of God, we were able to keep the house that we had left. And so I was going, I became a landlord. And um, the family that moved in had a few kiddos. Mom and dad were maybe having a harder time parenting, especially the 16-year-old girl. And the um, 16-year-old girl was a magnet for a game. And she decided to have a party at the house. Parents were not there. And so there was a gang having a party in our home, uh, our rental home. And, um, and then what does one gang attract? Another gang. <laughs> so this other gang showed up at our house, entered the house, and there proceeded to be a gunfight in our home. Bam, bam, bam. Everybody scrambled. Some of the kids scrambled out the back uh, the sliding glass door, jumped the fence, and then continued to jump other fences of other yards uh, as they were all screaming like ants, right? And they ended up doing damage to several homes' yards along the way. So let's just say I was not the friendliest, uh, the, the most popular neighbor at that point, <laughs> since I had rented my home out to someone who was drawing gangs into the neighborhood in gunshots. So I sent Carrie to go talk. <laughs> so I had to own this. So I ended up going to all the homes in the neighborhood, knocking on the door, explaining what had happened, that I had a drug deal go bad. It would never happen again. 
uh, and explained, I apologized that that family had to leave. And, and I said, look, is there any damage? I'll fix it and repair it. So I'm knocking on all the doors. And my neighbor, um, who had died and come back, neighbor next to him, I knocked on their door. Guy opened the door. I explained what was going on. And I noticed there was a woman lying on the couch. And her head was wrapped in a cloth. And I, they welcomed me in, started chatting, come to find out that they are Christians, believe in the Lord, very faith-filled, and oh, they happen to listen to Catholic radio. They listened to my program. They knew who I was. Oh my gosh, you're my neighbor. We can't believe this. Come to find out this woman has cancer, and she's not in a good condition. So I'm like, can we pray? Absolutely. So I prayed with them right there for the Lord to bring about healing and um, promised that I'd continue to pray and left. Um, a few years later, um, we were at a Matt Marr concert. You know Matt Marr, Christian musician? And he was in like, I don't know, Bellevue or Issaquah, somewhere up there. And we were a part of helping that event happen. And so we were there, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden I hear, Tom Curran! And I look at, and it's this woman. Oh, and she comes over to me, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And she said, God healed me. Wow. wow. And, wow. and it was an incredible little testimony of how the Lord yes. brought about healing. So any of you that want to pray for healing, Expect gang warfare, <laughs> gunshots. God, look what God, look how much God loved that woman. God loved that woman to say, you know what? I got to get Tom over there. I gotta, I'm going to bring healing to this woman's life. Somehow or other, I'm going to get healing into this woman's life. And if it takes gang warfare to do it, I'll do that. Because God can use everything. So some of you might feel like you have gang warfare with all the bullets happening in your home. You know what the Lord's saying? Watch what I can do. Amen. I'm going to bring healing, even miraculous supernatural healing that goes beyond anything you could imagine. And it only came because of the battle. The battle opened you to receive the healing that I had in store. Look what God is doing, right? And, and I know that some of us are in this room. We are in this room because of gang warfare on the west side, the battle that we were having in our home to get our kids to be healthy, happy, and holy. And it was a battle. But look what God has been doing. So everyone has a testimony. I said that there's a, a power to testimony, right? What's the power to testimony? The power to testimony is you can't say that didn't happen. You can say, I don't accept that argument. I don't think that's a correct interpretation. I don't think that uh, that's what Jesus meant. But you can't, I can't say, you know, this woman was healed of cancer. No, she wasn't. She was. <laughs> so there's, there's something that you can't, there's an incontrovertible quality to testimony. There's a power to testimony. And here's the thing. Each of you, the Lord intends to be his witnesses. But we won't be his witnesses until we become signs and wonders in our own lives. So I'm going to do just a very quick 
look at how the church, God has used movements, not just individual saints, but movements to bring about transformation in the church. Okay, so first 500 years, right? We come out of the apostolic age and all of a sudden we hit the age of the barbarian invasions, right? And things are not looking good. The Roman Empire falls, Augustine, Pope Leo, the end of, the, the end of everything collapsing, right? And what does the Lord do? The Lord raises up this guy who says, get me away from everyone, Benedict. Same Benedict. And Benedict ends up being the father of Western monasticism. So the monastic movement, movement, was what the Holy Spirit raised up in that time that would end up being a source of preserving, protecting, and eventually bringing about new flowering of Catholic Christian culture through a time that is referred to as the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, right? It was the monastic movement that was the preserver of Catholic Christian culture. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. So let's, let's fly ahead 500 years, and we have now, um, you know, monasteries are, are everywhere, but now there's another challenge that's happening. We have new sects coming up, S-E-C-T-S. We have new uh, challenges against the Christian faith. We have uh, new ideas that are spreading out there, and the Lord raises up a, a new movement that doesn't come together, but goes out. The mendicants. So we go from the monastics to the mendicants. Who are the mendicant orders? The Dominicans and the Franciscans, they were mendicants. And, and this was a hard for the people at the time to understand the church because they weren't in monasteries. They were going out into the world and they were advancing a kind of poverty where they relied entirely on God. It was a movement of the spirit. A movement of the spirit that was different than what the Lord was doing before. Okay. Flash forward another 500 years, and we have a time of the Protestant Reformation. But it wasn't just Protestants that were seeking to reform the church, it was Catholics as well. So we have the Catholic, it was often called the Counter-Reformation. So the time of reform, you now have what? You have great spiritual uh, leaders, saints, emerging in the Catholic Church who do what? they end up recovering what had been lost in the origins of certain uh, religious orders and bringing out a whole new way of living religious life. So you have, in particular, people like St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, right? You have the Carmelites, but not just the Carmelites, the discounts Carmelites. They were recovering, they were reforming by going back to the origins and they were bringing about a reform. So 
Let's flash forward another 500 years. Here we are today, right? And what's God doing? Well, God's already did the monastic thing. God's done the mendicant thing. God's done the reform thing. Well, what's God doing now? It's a really interesting thing to discern. What is the Lord doing now? Well, to understand what God just might be doing now, we're gonna go backwards a little bit because I'm gonna end up talking about the Catholic charismatic renewal. God is renewing his church, making it new. And when we think of Catholic charismatic renewal, we think of 1967. How many of you know the date 1967? This was a famous retreat uh, from uh, Duquesne uh, University. There were these students, college students, that went on retreat at the Ark and the Dove retreat house, like 25 students and some professors, and they went away to pray and to study, and they were reading a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, and then they ended up on Saturday night, just one at a time, going up into this chapel, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit started to fall on them. And they experienced what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they started manifesting, speaking in tongues and words of prophecy and praise. And, and there was this overwhelming experience of being empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's what we think about as the beginning of the Catholic charismatic renewal. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story. We're going to go back a bit. We're going to go back a bit. And when most people think about going back a bit, they'll go back maybe as far as Pope Leo XIII. Who's heard of Pope Leo XIII, right? Okay, when you think of Pope Leo XIII, what do you think of? Everybody on the count of three. Attorney Patrice, right? Yeah, what? There was this encyclical saying, Thomas Aquinas is the man, right? Okay, that's not it. No, Rerum Novarum, right? That was his document on the social encyclical on uh, the importance of the dignity of labor, right? Those are two things he did. He actually was the Pope who wrote the most on the rosary. Did you know that? He wrote like seven encyclicals on the rosary. Yes. He was also the first Pope to be filmed and voice recorded. Not at the same time though. Uh -huh. Let's go. I didn't know that. <laughs> Thank you. Come on up, finish the talk. This is awesome. I did not know that. I love that. Exactly. He was the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Yeah. Uh, so, so here we have Pope Leo uh, XIII. Now, some of you might have heard of the Saint Michael, the Archangel Prayer, right? That's probably where he's most famous. And because of what? He's at Mass, and all of a sudden he freezes in the midst of celebrating Mass. And everyone's like, okay, is he okay? What's going on? And he ends up finishing Mass, and after Mass, he goes over to a side table and he writes down something. It's the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. St. Michael the Archangel defends us in battle. And they end up coming around saying, what happened? And he said, while he was celebrating Mass, he was frozen by voices that he heard, that he identified as being the Lord Jesus and the devil. And the devil was saying to Jesus, Give me the 20th century, and I'll destroy the church. Give me the 20th century, and I'll destroy the church. And Jesus said, I give you the 20th century, but I'm going to pour my spirit upon my people. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon the church. So, uh, so that was the event and when most people think about how is this connected to um, his life, they think of the St. Michael prayer. But they're missing the rest of the story. And the rest of the story involves a little nun 
from Lucca, Italy. So think near the uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa, okay? Uh, this little sister, this little nun, who was about 50 years old, she started a religious community, the Oblates of the Holy Spirit. She had a tremendous personal devotion to the Holy Spirit. She started getting this, this inspiration that she needed to tell the Pope that the Lord was not happy because he wasn't fostering devotion to the Holy Spirit. He needed to talk more about the Holy Spirit. So she wrote a letter, and another letter, and another letter. And then she went and visited. Hey, you got to talk about the Holy Spirit. And kind of like that importunate widow that kept bugging Jesus, the bugging, the, the, you know, okay, okay, I'll side for you. The Pope's like, okay, okay, I'll talk about the Holy Spirit. So on a Wednesday audience, he spoke about the Holy Spirit. Whew, done. Did my job. Okay. Uh, he says, okay, I checked that box. No, Sister uh, Elena Guerra, you didn't do enough. Go tell him. Another letter, another letter, another letter. Okay. He, he says, okay, okay, okay. So he ends up writing a document about the importance of the devotion to the Holy Spirit. Okay. I finally get enough done. No, you haven't done enough. Twelve letters get to the Pope from this sister. This little nun. He's like, okay, fine, I'm done. I'm going to write an encyclical. Number one, top level. This is like the top kind of document a Pope writes. is an encyclical called uh, Divinum uh, Illud Munus. Uh, it was on the Holy Spirit. And um, I'll just say any Latin words and you'll nod and smile and try to write them down. So... Um, and in it, do you know what the Pope says? He says, I command that every Catholic church from this year forward has a novena to the Holy Spirit from Ascension Thursday to Pentecost Sunday every year from this point forward. Every church in the whole world, none are exempt, all are required, every church a novena to the Holy Spirit to cry out and to beg for the Holy Spirit to be poured upon their community. Now, you know that because you've attended novenas to the Holy Spirit at your parish every year for decades. What happened? What happened? What happened was bishops ignored him. They ignored him. But there's more. So the bishops ignored him. This is in 1895. Bishops ignored him. Here comes Sister Elena again. Hey, you have got to dedicate the entire 20th century to the Holy Spirit. You have got to call down the Holy Spirit on the entire 20th century. He's like, got it. December 31st, the year 2000, Midnight Mass, he celebrates Mass at St. Peter's Basilica, and they sing the Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit. And he calls the Holy Spirit down upon all Christians, upon the Catholic Church and upon all Christians on December 31st in the year 1900, January 1st, 1901, the next day, hours later, in a little church house, a schoolhouse 
in Topeka, Kansas, this little girl has the Holy Spirit fall on her and she starts to speak in tongues. Isn't that amazing? You have all of this stuff leading up to the Pope calling for the Holy Spirit to land on the Catholic Church and Christians. And God is like, you know, bishops, you don't do these novenas. You're not going to. I'll find a little girl in Topeka, Kansas, that'll be open to receive what I'm going to give. She responded. It caused a revival in Topeka, Kansas in 2001. A few years later, Azusa Street in. So what was I saying? 2001? I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. 1901, remember I said 2000, I mean 19. 1901, 1901, 1901. Five years later, 1906, Azusa Street Revival in LA. They experience a revival. And then you can see this history of revival outbreaks of the Holy Spirit landing on different churches, leading to different levels of renewal, 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 through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit coming alive. And then we reach the 1960s. In the 1960s, we have the Second Vatican Council. Bishops of the world come together, and they put together 16 documents. One of their documents is on the church, called Lumen Gentium. It's one of the most important documents. And they have these debates over what should be said, right? And sometimes it's just simple wording. Sometimes it's very meaningful decisions about what's actually the church teaching. So there's a section in there that is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and charisms that God has given to the church. And it emphasizes, and one version of the document emphasizes the hierarchical gifts, the gifts given through the institution and to bishops, priests, deacons, so the sacraments, institutional gifts, all of that. The question was, do we include gifts given, charisms given, throughout the body of Christ, not through the institution, but in a way that cooperates, corresponds, and resonates with the work that God is doing in the institutional church. Not apart from, not in a competition with, but in a way that will foster as well God's work among his people. The bishops said yes. The Holy Spirit is still at work giving gifts among his people. And we ought to expect those gifts to be operative. December 8th, 1965, that ends. A year and two months later, February 67, January 67, they are in Duquesne uh, University at that retreat. Holy Spirit falls. And since then, 1967, going all the way to today, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal has impacted more than 170 million Catholics around the world. That's almost 20% of the Catholic world has been impacted by the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Not to mention the hundreds of millions of Christians that have also experienced this awakening of the gift of the Spirit, this release of the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons we're here, Carrie and I individually and together and here tonight, is because of the way that the Catholic Charismatic Renewal has touched our lives. Each of us in our own journey experienced a, re a revival, an awakening, a deepening, a renewal of our faith 
through the gift that the Catholic charismatic renewal was there to bring, which is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? We are not going to go into the details of this week about what's the theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's for next week, okay? That's right. So you'll have to come back. You'll have to come back. However, that gift, as we've already talked about it, is what Aquinas described as revivescence, reviving gifts and graces already given, but not yet fully yielded to. We've received gifts and graces that we haven't said yes to. Lord, you come and move. Remember, movement means that we get moved. And so why are we here? We are here to say, Lord, move us. Move in us and upon us in ways that go beyond what we've experienced before. Come, fill us to overflowing. I dare you, make it too much, right? And Lord, bring those gifts and graces because it's through the gifts of the Spirit that we're going to sense what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. So that's why I'm saying to you, hey, get a sense of, like, what's the Lord saying to you? What I'm trying to do there is what Aquinas says. He's like, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can read the scriptures and you can get a sense of nearness to him. You receive Holy Communion, you get a sense of nearness to him. How do you sense a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Aquinas says, through the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are those places of intimate contact by which the Holy Spirit begins to touch your life, touch your heart, and not just touch your heart, but begin to move through you to do the work of God that goes beyond maybe what we've ever imagined, right? You might be cutting your neighbor's grass. You might be praying over the other neighbor who has cancer. You don't know. But are you ready? Are you excited? This is a different brand of Catholicism. This is not typical like what we expect day to day, this sense of wake up because the Holy Spirit has a day in store for you, let's go. All right, Holy Spirit, I wanna catch into your movement. My last word for tonight, and that is um, the church is in a hard time. Take a look at, we're in a, what I call a demographic Titanic. Just to, you take a look at the numbers of the church. Here's the sad reality. I'll go to mass. Uh, when I go to daily mass at certain churches, I'm the youngest person there. Right? You don't laugh too loud. Oh, when Carrie's with me, she's the youngest person. When I see Barbie, she's the youngest person. When I see John, I'm the youngest person. So... Sorry, John doesn't get the microphone. That's hard for him, man. That is hard. Okay, so um, we're in a time where the demographics are terrible. And the pain and the loss of faith in the next generation is terrible. God is not going to sit idly by in the sidelines. No, God's going to move. No, God is moving. And the question is, are we going to move with God or are we going to miss? I'm here because I don't want to miss out. We can't do everything. We can't save the whole world, but we can do our part. We can do our part. And we can say, Holy Spirit, come. Come with power. Come with an anointing. Come with a gifting. Come and release within us gifts and graces that we have no clue what it is you want to do. Preserve us from gang wars. Preserve us from that. But Lord, other than that, bring signs and wonders, healings, expectant faith, evangelization, sharing faith. Heal us and heal others through us. Who wants that? 
I mean, that's the living God, right? Let's go. So, honestly, Carrie and I didn't think when we came here that this was going to be a big part of our ministry, um, a charismatic prayer meeting. But we're not in charge, right? We're not in charge. She's in charge. So, <laughs> did I say that right, too? Yeah, said that right. Okay, yeah. The Lord's in charge. And so what we want to do is be docile, okay? So what we're going to do next week is we're going to learn about the gift of baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And then in the next week after that, we're going to pray for a deeper release of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So next week we'll, have, we'll give you a prayer that you can pray in preparation. But in the meantime, along the way, if this is stirring something in you, please, please, Take it to the Lord. Pray. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I want it now. I don't want to wait two weeks. Right now, tonight, let's go. Bring it on, right? Because we don't want to hold back what God's timing is for things. At the same time, we also know that the Lord honors this idea of getting ready, getting ready, preparing the way. So we'll talk more about that next week. All right, let me just close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you for the gift of life, the gift of the movements that your Holy Spirit has brought about in the history of the church. And Lord, we recognize the challenges of being alive in this moment. And Lord, we just wanna honor you by saying yes. Thank you for planting us in this moment. Make us the saints that you intend us to be and give us the graces and the giftings to be open to fulfill the mission that is ours. Lord, we ask that you would overwhelm us and go far beyond what we imagine in how you bless us in this group tonight and in the weeks to come. And Lord, just continue to extend and expand this in accord with your vision, your purposes, your will for this group and others like it happening around the world. Lord, to continue to just raise up hungry hearts ready to receive you and ready to move in accord with your will. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So any questions or comment? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Right, so in what ways did the church experience this destruction that if Jesus did entrust the 20th century to the devil, what would that look like? So Pope, um, Pope St. Pius XII said that um, decay in the church is marked by a decay in dogma, morals, and liturgy. So if we want to take a look at how has the church experienced a sense of decay, erosion, look at dogma. So it's not that complicated if we take a look at, for instance, one of the very central beliefs is Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, as Eucharist. And yet, we've had so many people lose their Catholic faith, and those that self-identify as Catholic, only 30% of self-identifying Catholics believe that Jesus is truly present as Eucharist. What do they believe, right? So we can see a decay in dogma, and Doctrines matter. Ideas matter, right? They, they determine how it is we see the world and how we live our lives. Yeah, so Lucy makes a great point. When we think about Carrie and I parenting our kids, how do we help elevate their sense of faith that belief in God is fundamental to living well? We draw attention to the supernatural. How do you get your kids to be torn away from uh, being grounded in the the here and now, which is so heavy. It's so heavy. And the answer is lift them up to the realm of the supernatural.
the miraculous. Yeah. So um, Kerry actually likes bringing in, uh, let's bring in the exorcisms and the people who died and, and went to hell and got rescued out. Because it's like, it's a battle. By the way, Sister Elena Guerra, do you know what the word Guerra means in Italian? It means war. It means war. That God chose the right woman, right? This is a battle, baby. Let's go. So um, I tend to like the apparitions of our Blessed Mother, right? So the Tilma, Our Lady of Lords, so many beautiful miracles that are, are Eucharistic miracles, right? So we found all our like, favorite YouTube videos to show them explanations of these, like the Holy House of Loretta. You ever hear about like, go look up that. You'll be blown away. Like, how do you explain that, right? So evidence of the supernatural is a way of helping to pull kids out of the purely natural. You're talking about- Oh, sorry. Dogma, morals, and we're a completely immoral country, so that's not even it. Look at the loss, right? Look at the losses and what's at stake, right? What's the, what's the meaning of sexual identity? What's the meaning of marriage? What's the meaning of the beginning of life and the end of life? What's family? I mean, the devil, right? The devil, the, the greatest attack of the devil is going to be against the family, Sister Lucia, right? From the visionary of Fatima. So I want to address the specific question, speaking in tongues. What I'm doing, if I'm praying, and that gift of speaking in tongues is happening, is I've yielded my very moment of prayer to the Holy Spirit. So instead of me saying, you know, I'm a pretty articulate guy, Lord. Lord, I praise you for your wonder, the wonders of your creation, especially the glories and the mountains. And Lord, I thank you for the way that I can be articulate. But what am I doing when I'm articulate? I'm using my brain. I'm thinking about it. What do I want to access? How do I want to vocalize that? How am I going to let that flow out? And I can become really good at that. But what's easy to have happen when I am praying in a way where I'm using strongly my own interior capabilities? What might get in the way is me. So what speaking in tongues does is, Lord, I'm taking a seat. I'm going to set aside for the moment my intellectual thinking about what I ought to be praying. And I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, you are alive in me. You activate the prayer that you would have me pray right now. I may not understand it. It may sound like gibberish to those around me, but I'm yielding my lips to you. And that's what happens. And so that's the gift of speaking in tongues. Simply put. Wait till you hear the complicated. <laughs>